Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Stefan Behrens. He is the co-founder and CEO at Giant. Hey, Stefan, how are you today? Hi, Neil. Pleasure to be on. It is a pleasure to have you here today. We are very excited to hear what you have to say. You have a kind of interesting story to give with us, but I want to start off making sure that you are a real-life human being. Your task today, uh, Stefan, is to say something nice about somebody you work with. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would have to give those props to uh, my girlfriend, Monica, who uh, has supported uh, me through all these changes uh, we did with the company, and and you know you couldn't be a successful entrepreneur if, if you didn't have support on the home front and making sure yeah. that uh, you have balance in your life. Absolutely, I think that's so important that no one just goes out and creates a company on their own. There's always a lot of support around them. So that's a great answer. Very good. All right, you're approved in your humanity. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Giant, uh, how to get started. This is not your first venture, so kind of give us a little bit of your history. Yeah, so um, this is actually uh, my third company. Um, the first two I started were on the consumer side. So I originally started uh, or, or you know, scaled a, a, a video games company in, in Europe uh, and then worked on the a direct-to-consumer brand um, that we scaled and sold successfully after that. And um, Giant was really our attempt to make a make a little dent in the universe on making um, a, a significant problem that exists around the world better, which is ac- access to healthcare. It's mm. just way too complicated. And uh, it's, you know, it, the user experience uh, for patients is typically terrible. And um, the, the experience for caregivers and providers who work in the system also suffer from a lot of administrative burden and paperwork. So we felt that that, that had to change. Yeah, and uh, hence, hence we started Giant. Cool. And what specifically? What part of the healthcare system are you working on? Yeah, so we um, we are providing a, a digital assistant that uh, patients can use and and caregivers can use to automate a lot of the mundane tasks that uh, happen in and around healthcare, getting access to care. So think of this as. Um, a, a friend that you can chat with uh, that helps you identify if you have a fever or if your your daughter is sick, um, mm. what to do about it, where to go, and and find the best place of care or um, get access to the right services. Um, mental health is a big issue these days, for example. Um, so just making making it easier to navigate a, a complex healthcare system and get access to the care that people need. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your team. And specifically, walk us through the transition everyone went through back, you know, March of 2020. How big was your team about that time? And and where are you now? Yeah, so in in March, we were around 20 people um, split across two locations, uh, one in the Bay Area and one in Europe, uh, in Portugal. Uh, Long story as to how we got there. But essentially, the the team was split uh, probably two-thirds U.S., one-third Europe. And um, when we made the transition to, to, to full remote work, like like everyone else did in, in March, um, we have since uh, grown the team to about 60 people. And um, so there are more people in the company now that I have never met in person um, than people that I have met in person when we started this journey at the beginning wow. of 2020. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Walk us through the, the idea about what you were ready for, like looking back, I mean, no one was completely ready for what happened with this big switch. But in which ways were you ready for completely distributed work? In what ways did you have to kind of get used to that and make some quick changes? 
Yeah, I think the fact that we had a, a partially distributed team in two locations before already prepared us to some extent. Um, mm -hmm. We had the right infrastructure and also the right internal process to have, you know, um, video meetings and and uh, asynchronous communication. Uh, we we lived on Slack and, and email at the time, and so a lot of the the tools that we later used to shift all of our work um, to remote first was was already in place. And uh, we had previously instituted a, um, a work from home Wednesday, which is actually super um, popular with the team and incredibly productive because it was a day where you had less interruptions and less yeah. meetings and you could actually get some deep work done, um, especially on the engineering and product side. Um, you know, it's, you can only be so effective if you get interrupted every 15 or 20 minutes. Um, so, so that was already in place. And um, in, 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 in essence, we just expanded that to, to all days of the week. Um, and uh, and then had to put some structure around how do we make sure that when everyone is not in the same place, these casual um, alignment discussions and casual can you help you know can you help me with this? Can you take a look at that? Um, we find ways of scaling that um, to a to a remote environment where yeah you have to put a little bit more structure around these types of um, of uh, discussions or or work workplace uh, conversations for alignment. Yeah, I think that's a big theme that we hear from a lot of people. Like you said, you need more structure in a distributed workforce. You can't just rely on those casual conversations to, to bring people in alignment and to make sure things are there. What types of structures have you found to be effective, both with like the tools you use, the way you use those tools, the way you train people? What types of things have you found to be effective? Yeah, so we've, we've been a lot more deliberate around um, meeting structure. Uh, you know, one, one you. of the things we find about now, and it's and it's not a surprise, is like there's too many meetings. Yeah. I guess were these meetings were happening before they were just not on the calendar, <laughs> right? So oh, okay. we just had people bumping into one another or, or coming into the office and say, "Hey, do you have five minutes to talk about this? Talk about that?" Um, or you just grab coffee and talk about work uh, in in some ways. So now everything kind of has to be on the calendar because it, it you know you can't rely on this happening um, casually or. Um, or you can get some people into into a, a Zoom hangout, you know, ad hoc. Um, but it's 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 more challenging when when people are not in the same room and you have to wait. So um, I think it's just being a lot more thoughtful around a an architecture for uh, for meetings on a weekly or monthly basis. Um, so we've instituted a lot of uh, additional kind of. Uh, regular meetings and 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 all hands um, sessions and team sessions and cross team alignment sessions and things like that to make sure that the communication flows um, which previously you you kind of that happened naturally but as the organization grew and and, and we're in this remote environment you, you have to put structure around it and then the second piece was probably around um, creating some rules on how to use certain parts of the software right so um, we we discussed, for example, um, response times and SLAs around mm. different channels of communication. Yeah, right? everyone now gets inundated in Slack notifications and emails and then there's text messages. So you know you have like three or four different inboxes to check Jira, right? So it's it's just too confusing. And um, if you if you don't establish clear expectations around um, the urgency and the timeliness of certain responses, you you know people get uh, get get frustrated or people are blocked and, and can't proceed. So we kind of established, um, you know, in, in what times you can expect a response depending on, on the kind of channel and some rules of, of how you address people in, in conversations on Slack or on email to make sure it's very clear who who has work to do and who has the next step 
um, and what the expectations for turnaround time are. Yeah. Can you give us some examples? Specifically, you said, you know, you are in Slack and email. Mm-hmm. Internally, like, why would you use one versus the other? Do you use Slack more for semi-synchronous discussions and emails for things that can take a little bit longer? Or what was the reasoning between using both those platforms? Yeah, Slack is a little bit more for like the, the let's say the casual and, and ad hoc um, and also, um, you know, documenting conversations that are happening where maybe between two members of, of a product uh, or, or project team where the rest of the team should have visibility of those conversations, but doesn't necessarily need to be involved directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where Slack, I think, excels. Um, but we also interface with customers and they may not be on Slack. So there's still, um, you know, important conversations or, 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 or project work that comes in through email. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes it just has a different it just has a slightly different weight to it. Um, if, if I want to address the company, for example, I probably won't send a Slack message, a Slack message to, to the team because that just gets crowded out by you know, the other 85 notifications they're going to have in the morning when they open up Slack. Um, so I think an email um, will stand out more. And then there's no immediate response expectation either. right? So um, yeah. for me, email is kind of a little bit of a slower medium. If you respond in, in, you know, in, in I don't know, four to eight hours or a day, that's fine. On Slack, I think the expectation is that you respond more quickly. And if I need to get someone's attention or need help right away, that's when it's the right time to pick up the phone and text someone or call them. And I think establishing those is something that we encourage definitely leaders of teams to do with these kind of working team agreements or something like that. But that's something that doesn't happen a lot. Do you feel like those challenges and the reasons you you went to these agreements to say, yes, it's going to be this amount of time for these SLAs or whatever, did those come from like within the team? Was it like just a boiled up, hey, we need something like this? Or did it come from your position as a CEO of saying, hey, we got to bring some more structure in this? Or, or where did that uh, urge for more structure come from? No, I think it was a discussion I had with my team and, and something that came up from the team. Um, again, this this problem of having too many inboxes that you need to check and unclear yeah. expectations of what to do first and, and how to respond, right? So um, some people would slack someone and, and, and expect an immediate response because they're maybe blocked on something. Uh, but that person is in a meeting or on a call with a customer, so they can't immediately respond. So, you know, how do you establish... Um, some guidelines around situations like that where expectations are clear, right? Yeah. Uh, another element here is just very clearly pointing out whenever you expect someone else to do something with all these notifications, <laughs> you know, including email, Jira and Slack, it's so easy to, you know, get kind of hop from notification to notification and miss uh, mm. where, where you have to do some work, right? And then the process is blocked or something gets delayed. So just ver- being very clear about who needs to do what um, and making sure that that's explicitly stated in the communication is is a big factor. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And what a lot of collaboration tools are missing, I would say, like there's very few tools out there that have a very tight connection between task management and collaboration. So even like you're talking about meetings, like meetings need structure, but there's there's I mean every time you have a meeting, there's there's something for somebody to do, and so to have some kind of structure there to be able to assign those tasks to yourself or to a teammate or straight from something else. I think that that's something that's that's missing. You you can create those obviously with, with some tools and integrations, but otherwise it's a challenge. Yeah. Um, what we've also instituted, um, what, what I've taken into my leadership team meeting, um, and, and I think that's that's worked really well, is just being clear when you have an agenda item, is this something that's just for information of the group, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't expect anyone to take action. 
or is this something where you want people to weigh in, but it's your decision ultimately, right? Mm. But you want to get people's opinion or, or consult them as part of the process, or you bring something up that you feel is not your decision or not your problem to solve and you need help and somebody else needs to take ownership, right? So just being very clear about um, whose, whose issue it is and, and what the next steps are, who needs to take action. Yeah. Right? That, that's really helpful. There's so much communication that I think is mostly in the FYI um, category, right? So keep, keep people aligned, keep people informed. And just, you know, stating that clearly helps a lot because then you can read it, parse it, maybe do it later. Um, but you know that there's no action for you involved. It's, it's always difficult when you have a long email and then at the bottom it says, well, somebody needs to do something and it's not clearly spelled out. It's so easy to miss. Uh, Stefan, this leads me to like one of my core questions I have right now, which is just that the level of, I would say, maturity, digital maturity it takes to get to what you're describing, I feel like is a, is a big leap from where most people were in, let's just say, 2019 in terms of being able to say, okay, I have a meeting, I have an agenda item, I do, this is just FYI, so I'm going to document as that. Like that takes a lot of mental power and a lot of maturity and exposure and experience to get to that point. Uh, looking forward, do you feel like, I'll give you a couple of options. Like one, this is just a new norm and you got to, if you're going to work and you're going to be effective, you got to build up to this. Or two, this is going to create this huge divide between highly productive digital workplaces and those that are just kind of uh, you know, like struggling to get by or three, it's just too hard. And then we're going to try it for a while and then everyone's going to fail at it. Where do you see things going? Um, I think it's going to turn into this digital divide. Uh, on, on one hand, I think it's just people are realizing that some of, some of this is necessary to be effective um, and will adopt it. But I think we'll see a bigger divide of organizations that are um, kind of remote ready or digital first ready and others that are struggling with that transition. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that's important, and I think that we haven't talked about, is there's a big cultural kind of foundation you need to create in order to have an effective remote team, mm -hmm. because you know there's no immediate way to, you know, in, in in old school management terms, there's no immediate way to supervise, right? Everyone's yeah. at home; they could be doing whatever, and so it really needs a, a, a culture where you have trust, um, but also empowerment and enabling people with the right information background. Uh, transparency on the context so that they can be effective and take decisions independently. It's very different if you if you're you know when when we started the company things were moving very quickly and we had like six or seven people in the same office like barely you know three feet apart from one another. It's a very different environment if you have that where you can be involved in every single conversation and every single decision uh, to where we are now where I essentially you know, everyone has to trust their team members that they're going to be doing the right things and, and make sure that people are aligned and have the right context to take good decisions independently. Yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a big aspect. And organizations that don't have that same level of, of trust or empowerment or transparency so that their, their team members can take the right decisions independently um, are going to struggle to be effective in this environment. Yeah, that's a great point. Let's dive deeper into this idea of culture. Obviously, culture is made up of lots of things and a lot of what we've already been talking about there too. You said even earlier before the pandemic, you had teams in Portugal and in the Bay Area. Was it difficult to kind of allow people to have like their own culture, their own team culture, their own maybe location culture, but then also a overarching team culture? And, and how have you navigated that? That's just a big question. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, whenever you have a, a large enough organization, you will have some level of of local flavor, <laughs> I would say, in individuals, yeah. because so much of it is shaped by by the people who lead um, these parts of the organization. Um, however, I think it's important that you have a, a foundation that is recognized across the company and across teams. 
Um, and for us, we were very deliberate in setting out kind of the kind of culture we wanted to build at Jine from the very start. And I think that's a reflection of, you know, having having built organizations before um, from the bottom up. If you're not deliberate about setting out the culture and being articulate and, and transparent about what you're what you're trying to do and why, um, you end up, um, you know, ultimately you end up building a culture. <laughs> but if you're not if you're not clear about what it is that you're building, it's it's kind of happens by accident. And it, once it's there, it's very hard to change. Right. So um, at Giant, we wanted to be very deliberate when we are a team of, of six people. We spend multiple offsites kind of discussing and shaping what kind of behaviors and what kind of uh, values we wanted to coalesce the company and the team around and have been repeating those um, since then. And, and, and they're part of our hiring process and they're part of our, our, our weekly and, and monthly cadence and interactions as a team. So it's, it's, it's a very important aspect. I think that we started early on to, to set the foundation for strong culture and that allows the sort of independence now that we're benefiting from in, in a remote first environment. You've been using the word deliberate a lot. Let's say uh, we're a year out into the, the future, however long it takes to get your entire team in one place. Like you, everything's safe to travel. You've booked the spot. You're all there together. What is the number one and number two things on your agenda for that time when you get to spend together? It's, it's going to be limited. There's only a certain amount of time you get. What do you really want to get out of that? Yeah, I think a lot of what you would normally do in these in these sort of company all hands and offsites, we already kind of do today in a in a remote environment or on Zoom. Um, but I think the part that is missing is all the one on one connections. Um, and there's something magical about physicality of being in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a Zoom meet, like if you have, let's say, you have a regular one on one Zoom meeting, you talk about all sorts of different things uh, on a regular basis. But then the first time you actually meet in person and go and just grab coffee or lunch, it, it, it adds another level of casual conversation. The, the, the topic of conversation kind of naturally shifts away from work and more to personal things. And it just opens up um, an, a deeper level of connection and understanding. So um, th- there's something magical about this, this ability to be in person and do something casual together. Um, that opens up um, connections and, and and deeper understanding between people. So I think, you know, if, if I brought everyone together in one place, I think that the majority of it would be to celebrate, you know, our joint success that we've had over the last, you know, couple of months and years and and just focus on on, on team building activities and, and having dinner and, and a party together, like really in, in enjoy the the, the fact that we can be together and, and, and learn learn more about your coworkers on a personal level rather than focus on business topics. Uh, you, you talked about uh, team building activities. I'm assuming you're, you're also trying to do that in virtual environments, which is not easy. So what has been some things you found to be effective there? Yeah, so w- one area that we've, um, uh, one of the things that we've established and we, we had that um, going in, in the office <laughs> as well at the time, like essentially brown bag lunches where we would all, you know, grab lunch once a week and, and sit together, and somebody would talk about something, or we would just, um, you know, chat about a random topic. Um, we've we've tried to establish that now as as what we call lunch and learns. So it's it's a regular weekly meeting um, that people can dial into if they have something else going on. Um, you know, it, it's not mandatory, but we will then have someone in the team present a topic of interest, and that could be something they do as a hobby. We had planned propagation or. Um, or spirituality and like topics like that, but also something interesting they've done at work, like a new model they've built or, or um, a new piece of, uh, of, of 
of interface design that they've just finished and the research that they showed to the team. So we try to keep those topics uh, pretty varied to make them entertaining and, and provide an avenue for people to connect on something different. Um, another thing that we've instituted is also just leveraging um, technology in a way. There are these like plugins for Slack that um, you can create that will randomly select people from your Slack uh, roster and put them together into a, in, into a coffee meeting. Yeah. Right? So once a week, you, you just randomly select four people and say, here's a coffee meeting. Here's a slot on everyone's calendar that is free. Um, let's just meet and, and chat. Right? And, and it's these kind of casual connections that are, that are kind of replacing the, the, the water cooler and the coffee, coffee conversations that you would normally have in the office. It's not a full replacement, but it does something to, um, to kind of build team cohesion and especially um, build connections across different functional teams that may not yeah. often work together. And, 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 and that's the part that's, that's missing when you would be in the office. Um, and lastly, I'll say, you know, we, we're trying um, a variety of different activities to kind of do team, team building um, within teams and, and on a company level. Anything from uh, PowerPoint karaoke to uh, <laughs> virtual escape rooms and uh, wine tasting. So we've, we've done a number of these. I think they're, they're never quite as great as doing it in person. Right. Um, a dinner is is worth you know five of these. A joint dinner in person is probably worth five of these these online team building um, activities. But at the same time, you have to do something. Yeah. Um, and and anything is better than nothing. That's a good perspective. I like that. Uh, Stefan, with the rest of our time, I'd like to talk about a topic that we've we've connected on before, which is about this idea of hiring kind of fully formed talent, people who are in the middle the the stride of their career, versus hiring people who are just out of college, perhaps, or new graduate, or just starting their career in those early days, you all are at a time when you're hiring more of that um, mature, fully formed talent, people in that middle of the career. Talk about some of the thoughts around that and what you're excited about and what you're nervous about. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the current stage of our company, um, we're, we're hiring mostly people that already have um, a good level of professional experience from pre-pandemic times. Um, yeah. and you know, they're organized, they know what they're doing, and they just need to be oriented to the company, the task, the culture, um, but not necessarily of how to work um, or how to accomplish certain tasks in, in detail. Um, that's one thing I'm probably most nervous about as the as this pandemic continues. Um, and we don't know exactly when it when when it all ends and we can go back to working in person. I think onboarding you know more junior members or people straight out of college where a lot of the learning on the job um, happens in a way where the, the best path forward would be to put them right next to a more experienced colleague. And then mm -hmm. it's so easy to just like, hey, can you just look at this on my screen? Right. That, you know, that that casual one minute look, although it's 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 it maybe disrupt the workflow for the person that sits next to them, but that one minute unblocking and that casual like co, you know, I guess the 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 term for that is like maybe pair programming if you look at engineering or or looking over things just quickly and get get quick feedback. That mm. that apprentice apprenticeship style um, of learning on the job, I think, is much much harder when you do it remotely. Um, so that's that's an area I think as as we get bigger in scale um, and 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 look at bringing on more more junior talent, um, that will be that will be one of the challenges. Um, yeah. What what I would hope um, is that in the future you'll have situations where maybe it's not feasible yet to bring the entire company together. Um, but maybe it's okay to bring, you know, someone who, who just joined together with a more experienced colleague or several more experienced colleagues, and they just work together out of the same location for, let's say, two or three weeks. 
right? Um, so that the the initial onboarding and the learning on the job is is much faster than 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 what you would uh, be able to accomplish if you had a fully remote setting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think a distributed team is great for people who are confident in their careers. They know what they're good at. It, it's really tough for someone who's just starting off, maybe has some self-doubt, maybe needs a little bit extra work or isn't really sure what they want to do. And they want to be exposed to a lot of different things. Yeah, it, it requires a lot of candor um, mm. and, and transparency also on the, on the on the on the individual side. Like, let's say, you know, you 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 get assigned a task, you're new to the team. Like you mm. don't you don't want to look bad in front of your new boss um, <laughs> or your team members. Right. So this kind of like I, I want to figure this out. But it's it's much more difficult to realize that someone is struggling potentially with a task or that they are challenged or they they need help, right? So it requires a lot of maturity on both the team and the new team member um, to identify these situations and make sure they get the help they need to succeed. Um, yeah. So that that's that's significantly more challenging. And I, I guess one last thought here um, is also like if if I put myself in the shoes of like a young college grad. Like staying at home, <laughs> working when I join a new company. Also, like there's a lot of social activity that is missing, mm. right? and, and obviously that social activity has been reduced significantly um, in, in in your private aspects of your life as well. Like being able to see your friends and and, and do things where you, where you go out and meet with lots of people, and and that also now has an impact in like curbing the amount of social interactions you can have at at work or or putting it, you know putting a filter on it because everything you do is just on on screen i think that's that's a that's a broader issue for you know many people joining the the, the workforce now or or or, or you know, being early in their careers that i i don't know um how that will shape up going forward yeah that's gonna be really tough and i think you even mentioned before the aspect of for someone who grew up in their family house and their parents haven't left and they may be starting their first job or starting another job from the same bedroom that they they used when they were a five year old, and yeah. you know, little pajamas and different things. And that that's tough to like have everything around you still say, "Hey, you're just a kid in this house," but then still trying to push it to a new level and be a professional and step into those roles. That's tough. Yeah. Well, Stefan, this has been great. I, I really appreciate your discussion and appreciate what you're doing and how you are leading your company into this new level of the digital age and where.